At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. Two more games, two more wins. Victories over Everton and Copenhagen have taken Manchester City's run to nine in a row after the return from the Club World Cup. And the patchy form of late autumn and early winter is starting to be a distant memory. It might have been a bit of a slog against the Toffees, but it turned out to be pretty comfortable in the end in both games. A City starting to engage in their title running mode. We'll wait and see on that one. That's all up for discussion on today's Blue Moon podcast. Plus, there's a look ahead to the upcoming games with Chelsea and Brentford. We're on the verge of that spell of what looks like difficult games, so we'll be asking how Pep Guardiola can keep this momentum going through what could be the most challenging part of the season. We'll hear from the Athletics' Liam Toomey later on to find out what to expect from Chelsea this weekend. Plus, what do Sylvan Distant, Bernardo Silva, Sergio Aguero, Paul Walsh, Isle Berkovic, Edin Dzeko, Micah Richards, Carlos Tevez and Craig Bellamy all have in common? Stay tuned to find the answer to that out later on. But first, let's get on with the show. I'm David Mooney and in today's episode I am joined by City fan Kieran Murray. Hello there. And from the Times, Paul Hurst. Hello, hello. Um, good to have you back, Paul. Nice, uh, nice to, uh, to to get you on your uh, return from Copenhagen. Karen, good to good to hear from you again. Thank you, David. It's great to be on the show. I um I, I was thinking because obviously City have been in Copenhagen this week, uh, and Kieran, you're an English teacher. This this should fall right in your lap, I think. Um, <laughs> City have been to Copenhagen, famous for Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, we always hear that City are what they're doing is no fairy tale. Uh, what would be a good City fairy tale? Um, well, thank you for asking that, because uh, it really, it, it really got me putting my thinking cap on. Um, I've come up with a few. Uh, you know that old curse: if a Greek scores a brace on New Year's Day for the rest of the season, home goals stay away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Uh, there's something there's something but it's kind of like half fairy tale half biblical about uh, Dean Michaelis throwing down his ponytail and then (laughs) getting it all whopped off and and losing his powers yeah Um, two featuring Everton I thought they found some sort of magic potion at the weekend that stopped them uh, having an injury every two minutes when City scored. Um, and then of course Sleeping Beauty featuring Ed and Jacko having a lie down on the turf of Goodison Park (laughs) (laughs) And finally, uh, Mooney locks in the three bars, and that's where <laughs> David Mooney finally finds a bowl of food that he likes the taste of. Oh, my, why, why are we digging me out here? <laughs> Early on. <laughs> God, Shots fired already. Shots fired. That was too fussy, wasn't it? <laughs> I heard Jack Gawne saying last week that you just don't like flavour, and I thought, right, um, I'm going to... Gotta continue that on, and we oh. found out pre-show you don't drink water either. So no, what, no, well, okay, right, okay, what? no, no, that, this is not a no. I just I don't drink enough water, is what I said. I not not that I don't drink water. I'm not sitting <laughs> here going water's too flavorful for me. That's just <laughs> mental. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Paul, I, uh, I, we mentioned you've been in Copenhagen. Um, I thought we'd, I, I thought I'd make you feel at home because uh, I thought you might be, might be missing the park and stadium. Uh, so just in case, uh, I've prepared this. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Very good. <laughs> did we did we get to the bottom of what that was? <laughs> well, I I thought originally when that siren was going off, I thought you know, has there been some kind of like incident outside? You know, or <laughs> some kind of like mass arrest or something like that. But it must have been. It's, it's one of the that the away end. Uh, sorry, the the end uh, section twelve, as they call them. Like the, uh, the that's their kind of like firm, as it were. Um, at that end of the ground, are really noisy, and there's a guy at the front who's got like a a microphone who's like dictating the crowd and like doing it properly, you know, not like they do in the MLS with the you know there's people, you know, like with loud hailers, etc. Yeah. I'm sure that they had some they had some kind of like um, yeah some kind of you know, some kind of noise that, that you know generated that sound of a a police siren. It was it was just a bit alarming, really. I thought it was like. <laughs> You know, do you remember that last year when the when City had that boombox, you know, where Grealish walked through the mix zone and he had that <laughs> boombox after yeah. the final? And yeah. they got little, little, different, like, buttons, didn't they, that had different sounds on it. It was like a little kind of, like, disco in a box. And he was like, it had one of, I'm sure it had a, a siren as, as one of those sounds. So I think, yeah, maybe it was one of them, but it was all a bit... All a bit strange, yeah. It was, it was all very, very confusing. Yeah, well, I, was, I couldn't I, tell whether it was on the match or, or whether it was coming from outside my home and the police had finally caught up with my illegal football stream. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I kept checking the windows thinking, oh, there's something going on on our road tonight, isn't there? But there's nothing, nothing, yeah. 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 Uh, right, so let's talk about the actual game. Uh, this episode of the Blue Moon Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every single televised City fixture over the 23-24 season. That means if you can't get to the Etihad for this weekend's game with Chelsea, you can watch it in a Green King Sport pub. And with more than 900 sports pubs across the UK, it doesn't matter where you're based, you can see every single minute of the action. If you download the Green King Sport app, you won't just get 10% off all drinks anytime there's a match on TV. But this month, there's also thousands of pints of free Guinness to be won and the chance to win one of six holidays. Um... So let's have a look then at the uh, the two games, Everton and Copenhagen. Um, Paul, if if Everton was difficult, um, Copenhagen felt a lot more open and a lot more a lot easier. Um, how do you get a handle on what City have done this week? How do you feel they've been, they've been playing? Yeah, I, I agree that the second mark, the second match was a lot easier. It was a a walk in the park, and as they, as they <laughs> oh god, <laughs> <laughs> a journalist on this podcast might have written that in his copy, and somehow it managed to get in the newspaper. I was absolutely astounded that they allowed that one. Yeah, um, what, yeah, what are some editors for if they're not going to take out stupid <laughs> jokes like that? Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, standards are clearly slipping at the time. But, um, anyway, yeah, yeah, I, I just thought it was. It was one of those Champions League displays where you know City could have won by about seven or eight, couldn't they? Um, and they're so good at um, so good at taking the sting out of the game. I, I went to Copenhagen for the Man United match earlier this season, and they just uh, just collapsed really with all the in the in the in the atmosphere there. They just uh, never looked in control of the game, but but City complete opposite. Just kept the ball for the first ten minutes. Um, a bit like being the nerd that I am, I looked at the the touch counter um, on who scored after about fifteen minutes, and Copenhagen had touched the ball about thirty times in the first fifteen minutes. He just just never had a chance to settle. So, is it you know proper? And how many times have we seen that from City in, in Europe, particularly away? You know, thinking like the Sevilla match away. Um, they've you know it's, it's it's Sporting Lisbon as well. That was another yeah. one good atmosphere, but they just completely. You know, Silence the crowd apart from the 
apart from the police siren, and um, just you know took control. So yeah, yeah. it's it's pretty much a perfect week for City. Yeah, I could do that again if we want. It's uh, it's, it's on the it's on the soundboard. I can play it all again. Sleep now because of that. I think it's all like in my head constantly. Yeah, there we are, um, Kieran. I. I, I... <laughs> I, I hope it's making you feel at home. If that's how, if that's the soundtrack to what you listened to the Copenhagen game to, whether it was in the street or on the TV, I hope you hope you're feeling comfortable with it. Um, just looking at, at the Everton game, um, what what made that one more difficult? Do you think was it ultimately just the changes that City have made and, and Everton settled? Yeah, I think so. I thought Everton started pretty well. They were on the front foot, um, and they'd they'd set up to kind of diffuse anything City brought to them. Um, Pep had obviously rotated. De Bruyne, who's been in unbelievable form since he returned, uh, was given a bit of a reprieve. Bernardo didn't start, Walker didn't start. Um, Haaland's finding his way back in. And yeah, it just sometimes sometimes it just felt that City were a little bit devoid of ideas, but I do think that came down to um, to Everton's setup and, and how aggressive they were in times. Plus, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I thought they... I thought they time wasted marvelously as well. They, they took the sting out of things, they stopped the momentum, uh, went down injured an awful lot, um, and yeah, it was just it was just one of those early kickoffs where it can be a bit turgid, a bit stodgy, um, and yeah, uh, as long as we got the three points and got out of there, I, th- I think that's I think that will please everybody. But it wasn't an easy watch by any means. Yeah, just on the time wasting, I, I don't know. I, I I haven't thought this through. This might not work, uh, but I did wonder at uh, at one point just after City had scored, and as you said earlier, there was that sort of like magic bullet to Everton's injury suddenly stopping at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did wonder if there was a system in place where you could only add on time wasting if it uh, only add on the time for time that was wasted for time wasting if the team that had been time wasting uh were winning or drawing because then like if you if, if you get into that situation Everton at the end of that game if the fourth official a fourth official just comes out and puts up three minutes they go yeah but we've wasted all that time it's like yeah but it's, it's your own time you're wasting this is you know it's your, your good old classic teacher phrase though yeah I th- they need to think about something instead of this blue card nonsense that they're kind of going ahead with uh, the, the time wasting is an issue and I don't think giant stoppage times of 10 or 12 minutes is the answer that anybody wants, players or fans? I mean, you see that you see that ten minute go up on the board at the end, you're just like, oh, I want to go home now. <laughs> um, especially when the three points are essentially in the bag. At least, uh, at least they put the time up on the clock. They there used to be a time when they put fifteen minutes up, and we'd all sit there going, "How long's that?" I don't know. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and I always forget to. I always forgot to set my watch. It was um, it was really useful when somebody sitting near you like started the stopwatch on the so you could ask them what was going on. I always just lived in a kind of limbo of not knowing how long was left. It was horrible. Yeah, uh, Paul. I saw a lot of people suggest for the Copa. Hagen game that uh, the lineup City put out as much as they'd rotated for Everton that the, uh, the the eleven that started against Copenhagen was City's best eleven at the moment. Um, what do you make of that? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm not convinced by Docker as a starter. I, I think we're going to come on to that a bit later on. But um, yeah, I thought that was it's, it's the most balanced team. It's the most it's the team that controls the game most, um, as, as we know Pep likes to to do. Um, so yeah, I, I think that is the most. Yeah, that you know, if if they play the Champions League final tomorrow, I think that would be, the, the, and they're all fit. That that would be the team, wouldn't it? I think. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Grealish won't be in it if it's tomorrow because he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's struggling he's a bit. Play, yeah. Probably try and hobble back on again, and you know, <laughs> I've, I've Pep shouted at him again. Um, but it, it was good to see Ake um, a left back. I know he he wasn't he had that good 
good diving header at the end, but he, he was a bit patchy at times. But I just think he's so much of a better fit at left back than Guardiol. Um, I mean, I look at what, you know, impact we trust and all that, but Guardiol sometimes this season, I just see him like popping up on the on the left wing, on the overlap. And I'm just thinking, you know what? He doesn't look comfortable there. He doesn't he doesn't create anything there. Um, so so why is he there? Um, um, so, yeah, I, I, I was glad to see Aki back in, in the team and, and Stones as well. I thought Stones was excellent. Yeah. Well, let's, night, so. let's, let's have a look at Grealish and Doku because, um, I mean, we talked there about uh, it was good to see him back, uh, even if only briefly. It was a it was a brief reminder of what he can do because he's just not been in the team for, for a few weeks, Paul. And when you look at, at kind of that opening 20 minutes, it was a real shame that he ended up having to go off. Yeah, and I, we were talking about it after the match, and I was just, we were making the I was making the point that that twenty minutes, that twenty one minutes, sort of proved why he should be in the team because he kept the ball well, and he wasn't he was he's a lot more confident on the ball than I thought he, he would be. And there's one point where he could have tried to take someone down on down the wing, but it wouldn't have happened because he had a there's a man there's another Copenhagen defender behind, and he didn't he cut inside and found De Bruyne, and he just looked really kind of tidy in his his play. So. I, you know, I just I just felt so sorry for him when he when he went down, and you could see that he was he was so frustrated by it all that you know when he came off, he, he actually want you know he wanted to go back on so to give Doku time to warm up, and Guardiola was like, you know, what are you doing? You know, just stay off and don't make it any worse. But he wanted he just wanted another couple of minutes on the pitch. But then yeah. when he got on the pitch, he spent those couple of minutes trying to tell his teammates to keep the ball out of play. So it was all a bit <laughs> weird. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, I, I think, you know, for, to say that he'd not started the last uh, previous five games and he featured very little off the bench in those five games as well, he, he looked, Grealish looked really sharp. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I think that, obviously we'll wait to see how, how long he's out for, but if he is fit, I, I would, um, you know, towards the end of the season, I would start him ahead of Doku. Yeah, he's had a difficult season so far, Kieran, hasn't he? It was like that. I guess that kind of adds into the sense of disappointment because it, it was almost like, okay, you've had some time out of the team, you've had a difficult first half of the season. Go and go and make this position your own, and then like he just can't do it. Yeah, it's dead sad on him, and I agree with Paul. I, f- I felt really sorry for him on Tuesday night, um, and I thought it was a really nice sort of juxtaposition to see Grealish come off and Doku come on when it's been. There's been this sort of mumbling and grumbling all year about the difference in between them, and then to see Grealish start so well and Doku's end product is a little bit is a little bit questionable at the moment. Um, but yeah, when he was the kind of almost the symbol of City's celebration uh, in the summer, a bit of alliteration slash sibilance for you there. Um, what what he... was the, sorry? What was the second one? I'm not. It's been years since I've done English. It was a, the alliteration I got. What was? <laughs> Sibilance is the repetition of S sounds at the start of words. right. I see. I see. Good. Good. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, as a as a sort of symbol of all that celebration in the summer, I've done it again. Um, <laughs> it, it's, yeah. it's it's really sad to see. Oh God, I can't stop. <laughs> uh, do, you, do, you know what, do you know what that noise is? <laughs> sirens. Yeah. <laughs> so many sirens. 
We've so got much background noise I, in this episode. It's like uh, <laughs> let, it's like let me talk. <laughs> oh, that more shots fired then. I see. <laughs> to be on. honest with you, the, the background noise and let me talk has never bothered me. I don't know what everybody was talking about. You'll be you'll be lucky to come back here too. <laughs> um, a bit like Grealish. Yeah. <laughs> um, so feel dead sorry for him. Um, he. He looked really good uh, for those first 20 minutes and there was a real message about what he can do. And last year when he finished the season so strongly and he was such a an emblem of happiness ha- having won the treble and um, to see this season kind of fall a bit flat on its face um, is just, yeah, it's, it's not nice. Um, but I, I think it was nice at least even just for a... a have a little glimmer of a reminder of what he can do, yeah. Um, and hopefully, hopefully the injury isn't too long, and he comes back, and, and we have him for the uh, the business end of the season, as they say. Yeah, um, Paul, I've seen criticism of Doku's end product this week. Kieran's just mentioned it there um, that like it's all well and good getting into positions uh, like in the Everton game, getting into positions uh, where he's beating his fullback, but then the ball across doesn't find a city shirt, or or like the you look at the uh, the same sort of thing for um, the Copenhagen game, not quite quite kind of getting into good positions, but then not delivering um do we have to remember that like well that he is in his first season at City he's still a raw talent that is being shaped um and at the same time like his job in the team is not the same as Grealish's job in the team yeah he's a sort of a I don't know he's he's, he's a completely different player to Grealish isn't he? he he creates chaos doesn't he that's his that's his um that's his job, and yeah, when, when City signed him in the summer, I was speaking to people who followed his career in Belgium, and they were saying that he's he's a really, you know, he's, he's a really raw and green player at the moment. He his game is purely based on instincts. You know, he will get the ball and drive at goal, um, whereas, and that's obviously contradictory to what we've become accustomed to with Pep. I don't think we've seen that since the since the days of like early Leroy Sané. Um, but so he does. He does provide something different, and he does. Um, he, he needs. He, he needs time to to get to know how how Pep plays, and you know to, to add different dimensions, as they say, to 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 his game. He, he does. I looked at his stats earlier. He's got six assists in twenty six matches, so that's not bad. But you're right. When I that Everton game on on Saturday, he was he was skinning Godfrey, wasn't he? He did him two or three times, which is you know remarkable. Um, you know, theatre. It's great to watch, but after there wasn't really that much uh, that came of it. So, um, so yeah, I think that end product does need working on. But he, you know, he's, he, I think he's he's done a lot better than I anticipated uh, this season. Because you know, who everyone struggles, don't they? And, uh, yeah. Or everyone has difficulties adapting to our city play in the first year. And to get to have that record so far is 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 very good. But you know, there's always um, always room for improvement. Yeah, I tell you, he's not struggling at the moment, Kieran. Um, not that Doku is struggling, but you know what I mean. Um, it was just a nice little link, and now I've, I've overthought it already at this stage. Now, and I'm <laughs> just the siren. Yeah, it's a siren yeah, in your head. Yeah, that's, yeah, what's that's, that's what's going on. Um, bells. But uh, I, Phil Foden has had uh, a, a very, very good 2024. Uh, he's had a good season so far, but he's been even better since the turn of the year. Um, six goals and two assists uh, since the turn of the year, which is the same as De Bruyne, but inverted. De Bruyne's got two goals and six assists. Uh, they lead the Premier League's uh, kind of goal involvement metric. Um, and Foden shone in De Bruyne's absence, but he's really enjoying De Bruyne being back as well, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. Did you see his little nod that he gave to Bruyne after his uh, after he opened the score in Copenhagen? That, yeah, that, that <laughs> looked like it was on FIFA. 
and then yeah. like it, it just it was in real life. That I, yeah. I had a moment then when I thought, God, maybe maybe the game's realism has just gone too far. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, he just looked like some sort of proud proud dad, just nodding his smug approval at, at what he just witnessed. Uh, he's older uh, son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Modern son. Uh, they they uh, they're hooking up so unbelievably well. Um, I I just. It's so nice to have De Bruyne back, and it's mad you've just read out his numbers there when he's been absent basically since you know game week one um, to come back in and be firing those numbers. Uh, but Foden's on for one of his best ever seasons, and like numbers wise, but also when you watch him on the pitch, he has just come on leaps and bounds. I mean, obviously we've we've said that he's a, a generational talent since the moment really we set eyes on him, um, and we've been so excited about him for years now. Um, strange how long he's been around when he's still so young um but he's just he's just absolutely gone from strength to strength strength to strength and in De Bruyne and Haaland's absence he, he kind of put the team on his back a little bit and carried things through uh he's so versatile he, he's picking up goals and assists left right and center from anywhere um and well, he even scored a, a a lovely header the other week. He's just there's he just keeps adding more strings to his bow at the minute, and he's an absolute joy to watch. What a player! Yeah, and uh, I mean, Kieran mentioned it there, Paul. It's like it's not just the numbers. It feels like uh, the whole the whole Guardiola tempo thing. It feels like he gets that now, and he's he understands what he needs to do at the right time. Yeah, and if you were, I was just thinking the other day, if if you were to to have a poll of City's player of the season this year, it, it'd be him, wouldn't it? I'd, I'd say so. And yeah. he's just, he's just um, like you say, he's, he's growing in confidence um, and he's he's getting a better understanding of the game. I, th- I think he's, I think that, that error against Crystal Palace, that stuck in his mind a, a lot. Uh, you know, when he lost the ball at the end, uh, sorry, he gave, the, he gave away the penalty, didn't he? Um, I, I think that stuck in his mind and that served as a reminder that he'd not, He's not. He's not done it. He's not got it all yet. And Pep always, always says that, doesn't he? He's, he's still got to learn to, to play in the midfield and have a more rounded game. But the way that Pep's been talking about him recently, he's, he's a lot more. Um, he praises him a lot more. He's, he's not with Pep. He was always. He used to be that. It's. It's give him sort of a backhanded compliment, as yeah. in like, oh yeah, tough, you're playing tough love. well. Yeah, it's tough love, you know, because it's typical. Like we say, he's only twenty three, isn't he? So he's got to learn. He's still in the learning phase of his career, um, but now it's it's just full on love from from Pep to to Foden, and that's um, that's as a result of his his performances. He just he, he controls games, doesn't he? And we didn't that wasn't in his um, armor before. He just uh, used to be a, a player who relied on instinct to just like pop up around the goal and, and and score. But now he he sort of dictates the the flow of the game, the tempo as well. So. He's just becoming like an all-round um, elite midfielder, and that's what you know. That's what um, that's obviously as a result as well of, of how Pep's handled him as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's let's talk about the bad stuff though, because there was a little bit of bad stuff, Paul. Uh, tell me, talk me through the moment in the stadium where you realised that Edison was just going to pass it straight to their fella. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not had one of these for a while, has he? So I, I when he got when he when the ball got. Uh, Came back to her, I thought, you know, this is fine. He'll, he'll just find that okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll chip it out to the to the left back. He'll be fine, and then, you know, before you know it, it's it's in the back of the net. So, he, I say he's not had one of them for I think it's over a year now. I think it was Spurs the last last foul up he did or last um, last error that led to a goal. Um, 
So I think we can sort of let him off for this one. And it was, you know, lads, it's Copenhagen. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, for, for the big matches that are coming up, you, you can't afford to do to, um, to to have too many like that. Um, he's, he's, probably, he's probably allowed one a year or something like that. And he has, I think he has improved a lot this season. Uh, I, know, the, I know we're talking about the clean sheets in a minute, but he's, he's not him who's solely responsible for the, the uh, lack of clean sheets recently. Um, so yeah, I think he has. Yeah, it was a it was a bit of a it was a quite of a, a bad boo boo to commit at that time of the match. Um, but still, you know, City were always going to win that one, weren't they? Yeah, it's it's one of them where there's there's not really a lot to analyse. Sometimes the goalkeeper just shouldn't present the ball to the other team. It's like like one of those things. <laughs> like like what what more can you say than that? Um, the clean sheets thing is interesting though, Kieran, because uh, there is a sense, certainly I think among fans, that uh, there is a worry that that clean sheets are not being kept. Um, but when I had a look at the stats, they've had nine clean sheets all season in thirty four games, um, which seems quite low. But four of them have come in the last nine, so it kind of suggests that that things are getting better slowly over the last few weeks. Well, I think it's no coincidence that City's um, good winning run that they tend to go on at this time of year has coincided with uh, better defensive performances, um, more clean sheets, and let, let, I mean, let, let, let's not go mad. It's kind of like marginally better defensive performance. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, but I think Diaz seems to have returned to form. Uh, Stones is back in the team. Ake is playing unbelievably well. Um, Walker seems to be slowly but surely coming back into a, a little bit of sense in his form. And then you've got Akanji coming back in. Guardiol has shown glimpses of his potential. Um, and then, yeah, Ederson has a mistake in him sometimes, but is, is so unbelievably pivotal to how we play. And you can let him off when it comes. When you think last season, our march to treble success um, was built on basically four centre-backs and a really, really tight defence, um, you imagine that we will we will have to build upon these, you know, good, impressive, marginal improvements now. Um, I mean, it is it is a worry. Nine clean sheets seems very low for uh, for a team, you know, who's going for, uh, you know, who's going for glory basically in all in all competitions they're remaining in. Um, so yeah. Just ho- hopefully, hopefully, clean sheets become a, a bit of a foundation to build on now. Um, the goal against Brentford felt a bit of an anomaly, a, a mad little, you know, kick through the middle, and and Mopé seized upon it. The goal against uh, the goal conceded against Copenhagen was obviously, you know, a, an individual error. Um, in terms of actual defensive performances, I think we've shored things up a lot better, and and it's really good to see John Stones back in the side because him and Diaz, as we know, their partnership at you know at centre back has just uh, has always been great and always really seemed crucial to to defensive improvements going forward. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk
ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Let's finish on Haaland for these two games. Um, a brace against Everton. And Kieran, it's these games you can see where he makes such a big difference, isn't it? Because like City were not playing particularly well and then a chance falls to him, bang, in it goes. Yeah, brilliant. Um, my man of the match on Saturday was the steward who told me to hurry up back to my seat because City had a corner, um, which then... <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they, they had two corners in a row and they scored from the second one, so I was just back to my seat after uh, rushing to the toilet. So um, so that was really good. And then Haaland was just there. That kind of right place at the right time, um, powerful finish has just not always been present this year. As much I know he's been injured for a long period, but uh, it was great to see him backfiring again. Um, it was actually great that Pep had a bit of a word after about his body language too, because obviously with him being out for so long and having not scored on his return up until that point, uh, it was good to have a little bit of reminder to, to relax and chill out, and it, it will come eventually. So it was it was great that one followed another uh, so quickly, and mm. God, he looked good and he looked relieved. Um, and yeah, the crowd absolutely loved it. There's something, there's something just really special about a Haaland goal at home. God, you know it's a bad game, don't you? When the stewards are getting man of the match, Christ. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, Paul, the, 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 as Kieran said there, like he's he's not been. We've we've had this sense last season that when he got put through on goal, he would just score, and you haven't had that same sense of of inevitability this season. And then the second goal comes along. It, like it, it's been a while since he's shown that sort of confidence one v one, and it's really odd to say that given the number that he scores. Yeah, no, I I agree. When he went through. Um, I just thought, oh, this is immediately thought this is very similar to the West Ham goal, his uh, his second goal on debut last season, and um, he, he took that goal against West Ham, you know, flawlessly. You never thought he was going to miss, but certainly when he was once he disposed of, of Branthwaite, which was, you know, I, I love to see this. <laughs> <Disposed It's just laughs> hilarious. He was like watching John Alomu run through, wasn't it? You know, see you <laughs> get down. Um, knocked him out of the way as soon as he got, you know, he's one on one with the keeper. I, I, I would have put it at sort of sixty forty that he would score. But whereas last year you would have given it, you know, ninety nine percent, wouldn't you, that he'd, he'd score? Um, but he took it really well, um, and that will, you know, that'll do a lot for his confidence. I mean, that that flying kung fu kick or whatever it was on 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 Tuesday in Copenhagen showed that he's. You know that he's uh, got a lot of confidence running through his his veins at the moment, um, and that for, I, I love the first goal against Everton. I, I also love the the Sean Dyche quote afterwards about Haaland not doing trendy goals, not doing the the flippers and dippers and chippers or whatever he said. Mm. He just smashed it, and um, you know it was it was it was, a, it was a great goal. Both goals were fantastic, and uh, you know it's uh, that that confidence is slowly getting back to him now. So. And you know it's like it's like a, the same with all the quite a few city players. You know, De Bruyne is gaining his confidence, Stones as well. So that only boards well for them for the for the running. Yeah, and uh, speaking of that second goal, it came just a few days after I'd been wondering on Twitter when City had last scored a classic counter-attacking goal. Uh, we'll talk about that shortly, but first, here's the answer to that question I posed earlier on. What do all those players from the intro have in common? They've all scored some of our regulars' favourite goals on the break. Hi, I'm Dan Burke. 
and my favourite City counter-attacking goal was Sylvan Distans at Aston Villa in the 06-07 season. I'm Joe Butterfield and I'm talking about the Edin Dzeko counter-attacking goal to make it 6-1 against Manchester United. It was a midweek game away at Villa Park. We played absolutely brilliantly, absolutely battered Villa. Should have been about 5 or 6 nil up. Um, as it was, we were 2 nil up. Then Villa pull a goal back in the second half and you're thinking, oh God, here we go again. My name's Chris Higginbottom and I'm a cheeky monkey because I'm shoehorning three goals into this soundbite. Uh, even though Mooney only asked for one. Julian Lescott in our penalty area, sort of, it feels a bit like a sort of hit and hope, and it kind of is. It's just a sort of lump it, get it long kind of thing, and then comes off a United player who heads it right into. But I say right into, it's David Silva picks it up perfectly with his first touch. One point in the second half, Sylvan Distan picks up the ball and played a nice one two with Giorgio Samaras in midfield, and Distan. You know, he was quick, he, his pace got him out of trouble a lot as a defender and this time he used it for good effect in an attacking way. He comes herring out of defence, gets on the end of the 1-2 with Samras and just goes roaring through on goal and then just has the beautiful composure to slot it past the goalkeeper. The first one that came to mind was actually in a game where we scored three breakaway goals. Uh, it was against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in 2010. I mean, it's the ultimate advert for breakaways, apart from if you count... Um, the actual chocolate bar advert called The Breakaway, which is a really good advert for a not very good chocolate bar. And then his second touch is just probably the most famous assist of David Silva's entire career, that perfectly weighted through ball to Edin Dzeko, which sends him through one-on-one -on -one with De Gea and with his weak foot, put it right past him to make it 6-1 in that, in that derby, in that game. Wonderful. Hello, I'm Adam Monk and I'm a presenter at 442 as well as a Manchester City fan, of course. Uh, my favourite counter-attacking goal scored by City over the years has to be Bernardo Silva's against Aston Villa. The first one of these goals was scored by Carlos Tevez and it was on the end of one of those up-and-unders where... You get people these days shouting hoof, which is annoying. Tevez was onto it in a flash. And he had this weird little scuff shot, which just spun it enough for it to toddle around like the flailing hand of uh, Hilario. Hi, I'm Dom Farrell. And the goal I'm going to talk about is Paul Walsh against Everton in August 1994. Fernandinho and Mares, who were keeping the ball relatively under the cosh in their own box in a very tight space. I think Mares poked it out to Fernandinho and as soon as he did, then he sort of played that that long counter-attacking ball down the line to Jesus. Isn't Hilario something that um, Bob Mortimer says in his, in his train guy skits? It was the third goal in a spell of seven minutes, so it was the first time I think I'd experienced like a ground just going absolutely crackers and no one really properly sit down from the previous goal and... There's nothing better than the counter-attacking goal for that sort of situation. He got it into the right area and it was the fact that the ball didn't bounce or touch the floor. Bernardo just executed it on the side foot, on the volley, roof of the net, past a world-class keeper as well. Uh, and it was from back to front in about 10 seconds and without doubt, the best City counter-attack I've ever seen. It starts off with Gary Flickcroft sort of welting an Everton corner somewhere close to the moon. Steve McMahon picks it up sort of work his way through midfield, rolling back about 10 years because he didn't tend to move like that for City at all. Who found Nick Summerby, who sends a first-time ball across the box and Walsh just stuns his side-footed finish, pings into the net. I'm Niall from Retro City Goals on Instagram. The Aguero goal from the Napoli game stands out for me for a number of reasons. The, the, firstly, it's the record-breaking goal, making him our leading goal scorer of all time. And secondly, 
in the context of that game, it, it was massive. The second one was a classic breakaway through um, some vintage Craig Bellamy on the counter using all of his trademark pace, power and precision. Once he was forced wide, he kind of chose to go wide, such was his confidence, and just rifled it into the far corner. Adam Carter from StatCity.co.uk. And my favourite counter-attacking goal is the one we scored in the Division 1 Championship winning season under Kevin Keegan. It was Isle Berkovic against Norwich. City end up getting the ball just on the edge of their own box, essentially giving it to Leroy Sane, who ends up picking the ball up on the halfway line, ran through, not passed, but through about three players, all of them trying to foul him or bring him down. And then Aguero ends up picking the ball up edge of the box and just slots it perfectly past Pepe Reina in the bottom corner. It was a mad celebration actually because he just sort of held his, held his arms like out Christ-like with this kind of really relaxed um, middle distance stare like with the look of a man who had killed and would kill again. Carlo Nash get, gathers the ball and 10 seconds later the ball's in the back of their net. He throws it to the halfway line. Berkovic majestically takes it down beats about three players on his way into the box, drops his shoulder as if he's going to come inside, goes back outside and then Megs Rob Green from a ridiculous angle. He certainly killed Chelsea off with the fourth City goal of the game, which was a really satisfying one. Hi, I'm Richard Burns and my favourite City breakaway goal is Edin Dzeko versus West Brom at the Hawthorns in 2012. Hello, my name's Kieran Murray and my favourite City counter-attack goal was... Sergio Aguero against Arsenal in the League Cup in 2011. City had gone 1-0 down. Dzeko had come on when he had a bit of a super sub reputation and immediately scored an equaliser. And it was beginning to look like in the circumstances a, a one-all draw wasn't such a bad result. And then City won the ball back and it immediately gets played right up the field to Aguero. I think Arsenal had a corner and De Jong managed to block it. It fell to Dzeko who then ran like a pacey winger which I don't ever really remember him doing otherwise slotted one of those balls through and he kind of stumbled and fell over at the same time headed through to our number 11 at the time who then teed up Aguero uh, Hi I'm Casey and my favourite counter-attacking goal is uh, the one that Mika Richards scored against Blackburn in 2010 Tevez picks the ball up Simple pass out to Sean Wright Phillips, who fizzes a daisy cutter across to Bellamy, who just passes it into the net. Jekyll's bombing down the middle and Aguero plays him in. Jekyll's got all the time in the world to take it towards the keeper. And instead, he just goes first time, right-footed from 18, 19 yards out and just slots it into the bottom corner. He ran the pitch with like two touches and then Benjani hit the post, which it would have been a better goal, but it was funnier that uh, Richards followed it up and tapped it in. It was one of those where, because of how early he'd hit it, you could see the, the sort of shape of the shot that it was about to hit the net. Once it crossed the line, that away end was absolute pandemonium. And all done in a beautiful, the beautiful classic white shirt with the sash and the we mean business, black shorts and socks. Fantastic stuff. And Bellamy even managed to slag off John Terry in a post-match interview. Quality. Hi, it's Nicky Weaver, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. 
So that was a look at some of our regulars' favourite City counter-attacking goals. Um, and I, w- I want to talk about the counter-attack in a little bit more depth now, because I, I don't think City's relationship with counter-attacking is a normal one. Um, I think City turned down more counter-attacks than probably any other team uh, in favour of keeping the ball, building up with passes, that sort of thing. Um, have a listen to this. This is Guardiola speaking after the Copenhagen game about how he uses passes to stop the other team getting ahead of steam and stop the fans in away grounds especially getting their tails up. This type of games, they want to attack quicker than expect. They make a transition that you suffer a lot. And we want to make a, a right tempo, no slow, no fast, to make the, this incredible stadium where the people are behind. So... Slow. I had a manager where I said, okay, when you start in a big, big stadium with a lot, a lot of crowd and shout and the pressure, make 1,000 passes. It's not allowed to score a goal, just passes. And the stadium is rolled down. And that was from Tuesday night. And then it kind of struck a chord in my head because I've, I've remembered this from December 2021. Uh, this is Guardiola after a 1-0 win over Wolves. Wolves were down to 10 men at the Etihad. Uh, and this was the first season that fans were back in the ground and it had been comfortable in the game up until the closing stages. That was when the fans were urging the team to, to go on and try and score the second and City kept giving up possession of the ball by trying to counter-attack. This is what Guardiola said afterwards. When you win zero and still to control, we start to run up and down. So we lost simple balls four or five simple balls that is not necessary and we break in this situation because we play at home because demanding the people and when that happens you lose the balls easy balls and after the counter-attack so we concede actions because we let them play when we have one more player is almost man to man now, Paul, I, I, I do wonder if all of this kind of comes back round to that Guardiola thing of uh, you've just got to do it right. Whatever you do, you've just got to do it right. Because obviously none of this, and, and Everton is the case in point, City are not going to go, don't counter-attack. It just means kind of like counter-attack at the right time and in the right way. And that, that's kind of why I think that, that second against Everton is quite interesting because like, I, I don't think many players in a Guardiola team would, like De Bruyne wouldn't play that ball through unless it's Haaland running onto it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's that's the point, is it? No, no one understands the way that Pep wants to play the game better than De Bruyne. You know, they, they are they they think very similarly, and he 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 knows that that Haaland's gonna. You know, there's a very good chance that Haaland's gonna score that goal. So, I think if if you would have had a, you know, if there'd have been four or five defenders on him, he would have probably like put his foot on it and and played it sideways or just just kept the ball. So it's. Pep trusts De Bruyne in particular and, well, most of the players really to to understand how he wants them to play the game. And and I did I did think that on on Saturday that that it's um that there would be obviously a lot of added time, as we were saying. Um but I didn't really I didn't really ever think that Everton were, were gonna you know, get get a chance to score against City. So I think it was definitely worth a counter attack worth taking on. Um and as you were saying, and as Pep said, the he doesn't want them not to counter-attack. He wants them to choose the right moment to do it. And I think certainly that was a, that was a case where it was the was the right call. Yeah, it, and it sounds really harsh as well, Kieran, because when you think back to that Wolves game and De Bruyne trying to play the ball through, he's playing it through to Sterling and Jesus and not a player like Haaland, who, as much as, as we talked earlier on about Haaland maybe not feeling as inevitable that he was going to score as it, as it did last season, like you, you always had that sense with Sterling and Jesus that they might miss this. Well, going back to Paul's point about it, it probably being 60-40 that Haaland would score on Saturday. When it was Jesus and, and Sterling, you'd probably put it at 20-80, you know, that they would, um, to, to, you know, depending on, on their form and uh, circumstances. So 
there was a much more likelihood, much more uh, likely chance of getting turned over and allowing the team to to regain uh, some control and to go at us. And we were all over the place. And it just, yeah, it was just a bit messier then. Um, De Bruyne and Haaland can just be so tidy in how they counter-attack. And, um, I mean, I f- completely forgot about it in the feature. Um, like, one of my favourite City goals of all time, the Bernardo goal against Villa. Like, that, there couldn't be a more crisp, tidy counter-attack. So, when it is the right time and you can't do it and the opposition stretched so much the way it is because they're piling on the pressure themselves, it just... It, it makes sense to go that way. So, yeah, it is all about just, we know this word, control. It's all about just control the right time. Um, and talking earlier about Foden, I think he's the kind of epitome of a player who has grown into realising when to go, when going is too quick, mm. uh, too sudden and too ill-timed to when, you know, the right time is. And I think his mat- maturity and maturing over the last few seasons is kind of, he, like many of us, have been kind of pep-pilled, I guess, into understanding when's the right time to go and when's the right time to wait. Yeah, I mean, you, you say that, though, but you do hear a lot of cries in the crowd when you know, when the opposition have attacked and they've, they've been in a low block for, I don't know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever. They've had everybody behind the ball. They get a corner, they move everybody forward and City keep possession as they clear it. You hear a lot of cries of, get it forward, they're all out of position. And you watch then as City just go, no, we're going to keep the ball and we, it might let them get back into shape and, and, um, and everything else. But it's because we feel safer doing this. We think we can break you down doing this whereas we don't want to give you the chance to catch us out of position and like do you do you understand that frustration sometimes from the fans yeah def- definitely I mean I'm sure I've been there myself you go and you pay your money and you want to be entertained and you want to see as many goals as possible and and so there will be a clamour in the stadium and you know all fans want more and more goals but you know all the fans who are screaming aren't Pep Guardiola with Pep Guardiola's understanding of the game and, and his demands and his, um, you know, what he An- anxiety wants. Anxiety about how, how the game could go wrong. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I always think, and I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I always think a massive turning point in Pep's City career was the Leicester 5-2 defeat uh, during the lockdown season. I just, I think he was, he made some strange substitutions that day. We were counter-attacked left, right and centre. Um he realised that kind of under the laboratory conditions of behind closed door football that he could, you know, basically train City up to make games. Some of the games in those those behind closed doors days were were, were dark dirges, really, weren't they? Um, where nothing really happened and it was just about control. The shackles were on. Um, but I think Pep used that as a kind of transitional time where he recognised what it meant to control games and he recognised what it meant to get three points without always the glitz and glamour of, of huge big score lines. And don't get me wrong, we score plenty of goals still, um, but control comes first and, and that's just that's just been one of the secrets to success over the past few seasons, I think. Yeah, and I, I think, Paul, that's probably why I feel like City are coming into form right now because you think back to the, the autumn and, and winter, City couldn't control a game. And then you watch like the Brentford game, for instance, They uh, the number of counter-attacks they turned down in order to be able to control the game, it just felt like they, they kind of, they could see the bigger picture again. Yeah, and it's, that the thing is when they've got, even if they allow teams to get back 
and get into their shape. They, they've got the players. City have got the players that can then pick pick them apart, and that's you know that's what they do, isn't it? If you've got players like you know De Bruyne and, and Ford and on the edge of the box and really precise um, passes and, and people that like that are accustomed to playing in. In, in small spaces like Bernardo Silva, it, they can they're just as good at well they're even better at scoring goals from from um, against teams that have a lower block than they are on on the counter attack just because they're used to it you know because of ninety percent of the games particularly at home you, the opposition will just sit deep so City you know will will end up picking you apart if even if you if you sit deep so it's not much of a not much of a, a problem, really. I I do think that you know the opposite of that, and again, because I cover Man United, it's they they have no control sometimes at United. It's really it's one end to the other, and it, you know the Copenhagen games for each team showed that the you know, the United game was completely all over the place, and that's why they lost four three. You know, it was just they have no control on the game whatsoever. Whereas City were happy to. You know, to buy the time and, and and pick Copenhagen apart. So, I think that's um, that's one of the you know that's that's the reason why they're not always helter skelter counter attacking team. It just it just doesn't work for them. And they don't need it. Yeah, it's interesting the Copenhagen thing as well because uh, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, right before City scored the uh, third goal, obviously Haaland had had that chance where he got into the box and, and been played through. And as the ball broke back to City, Rodri, it came to Rodri and he was signalling <laughs> with his hands. He, he did that big, massive hand signal of, look, nothing stupid here, keeping mm. out, like, everything really, really tight. Yeah. Um, almost like get out of there with the 2-1 instead of uh, instead of potentially risking the 2-2. And then uh, still in that kind of mode of if the chance comes though you have to take it the chance opened up down the right hand side and they took it and it's like it's it's almost like having the best of both worlds i don't know yeah he's, and it comes back to what we were saying earlier if it's if the opportunity is there and it's the right opportunity to take then then take it and to be fair i think it was nunes wasn't it who started the uh started the move on the right hand side he took someone on and then you know two or three move passes later you've, you've got that opportunity and and ford and scores so I can see why Rodri was was thinking that, but equally, if you get an opportunity and it looks looks the right one, then then take it. Um, yeah. I, I certainly don't think that you know Copenhagen would have ploughed forward on the counter attack and, and got an equaliser. You know they were, I mean, they not played for two months, so they were they, they were absolutely knackered <laughs> by the end, weren't they? Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, you know, you can see what you can see why Rodri was thinking that. I mean, again, talking, you know, thinking about players who understand and see the, the game the same way as Pep, then he's, um, Rodri's certainly one of those. Um, yeah. 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 Well, uh, let's have a look now to uh, the coming games with Chelsea and Brentford. We'll start by hearing about this weekend's opposition. I've been speaking to the Athletics Chelsea correspondent Liam Toomey to find out how things have been going at Stamford Bridge lately. Chelsea felt like a team that would raise or lower their level to the standard of the opposition. So they really got themselves up for the big home games. They played Arsenal, they played Liverpool, they played City really well at Stamford Bridge and ended up getting draws from all of those games and having stretches where they looked like the better team. But in between, you had these these limp defeats to low blocks and a kind of existential crisis around the club with fans really disconnected from the strategy of the owners and disconnected from this squad of players most of whom they haven't known very long and and who are very young and very inconsistent finding their way most of them and a manager who you know they they haven't had much connection to 
obviously hasn't been at the club very long and, and has a, had a long association with Tottenham, which didn't help. So that it's been a funny season at Chelsea and the league position has been, particularly in recent weeks, the cause of significant angst and and introspection about where the, the, the Pochettino project is going. And I think those those back-to-back losses against Liverpool and Wolves with eight goals conceded, that those were... Those were really alarming performances. The Wolves won more so than, than Liverpool, which was maybe explicable in the circumstances with Klopp announcing his departure and Anfield being this cauldron of emotional intensity, which it can be. But Chelsea have also shown at times this season, every time they've, they've looked in danger of completely spiralling, they produce a response, they get back on their, on their feet. The Villa performance was really genuinely impressive. Maybe their best of the season, actually, I think, in terms of a 90-minute performance. And then Palace was almost a microcosm of their season. <laughs> really bad first half. Fell, fell be- Contrived a way to fall behind and managed to fix it in the second, but in a way that left no one totally convinced by them. <laughs> yeah. Are you starting to see signs that Pochettino is is kind of creating an identity of uh, of this Chelsea team? I think there have been signs for most of the season. Actually, they've just been quite scattered and rarely delivered in the form of a full performance, let alone a string of performances. But unlike last season, when I think Graham Potter quite quickly lost faith in the idea that he arrived with and then the squad became a mess in January and the whole season kind of unravelled from there. From the start of this season, it's been quite clear what Pochettino is trying to do tactically, the style that he wants Chelsea to play. The variance has been in, in their execution, really. And I think the the other thing that explains how slowly things have developed or or at times not developed for Chelsea this season has been the injuries. They've had more or less 10 players out <laughs> all season and that's finally beginning, well that was finally starting to ease and now you've got Thiago Silva out, Benoit Badia-Shield, they've got, we can talk about this, but they've got a little bit of a, a defensive injury crisis heading into this game. So he's never had a full anything approaching a full squad to pick from, and that's included some key players out. We're only just starting to see Christopher Nkunku, for example, who was bought as to be the marquee attacking name. So Chelsea still do feel a work in progress, and a lot of that has been a product of the circumstances. But there, there, there has been a feeling all the way through of what Pochettino wants to do, and at times we have seen it, and it's looked pretty good. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, you mentioned earlier about uh, Chelsea raising their game according to the opposition at home. How's that been away? Is it, has it been a similar sort of story away or has it been a, a completely different one? Well, leaving aside the, the Tottenham away game, which I think stands alone for the crazy circumstances <laughs> and tactics. Quite, of, yeah. I've never I've never seen a game like that. They've had some really dark away days. You know, Newcastle away comes to mind. Manchester United was was really, really poor. Liverpool, we already mentioned, they're not the most resilient bunch. They're a very young team. And while they have produced responses from game to game, a bad performance followed by a good performance within games, if things start going against them, particularly against a good team, errors can cascade and it can get quite ugly. And they they struggle to get a grip on themselves. And I think 
that's the biggest worry against the team as talented and as ruthless as, as City are. Because uh, and we uh, we've spoken about this when you've had me on before. I've always got the feeling that City as a as a club, whether the fans feel this is another thing, City as a club really enjoy putting the hurt on Chelsea when they get the opportunity. Mm. <laughs> I, I do get that sense. And but from the way that their team has, has approached that game at home, there have been so many... I'm doing the trip again this weekend. There have been so many miserable Chelsea trips to the Etihad <laughs> in recent years where they've, they've taken every opportunity to really run up the score and really dominate them as, as completely as possible. And... I could easily see that happening to this Chelsea team. If they concede early and City jump all over them, you've got a full-powered Haaland, you've got Kevin De Bruyne back, you know, it, it could get really ugly for this for this team. It has been a different story away from home, but they do have the talent to make it more competitive. Yeah, when it comes to, to Chelsea coming to the Etihad for this one, um, how, how do you see Pochettino approaching it? Because he's he doesn't seem like someone who who is going to kind of try and neutralise City in the sense that a lot of teams try and neutralise City by getting men behind the ball and sitting deep. It looks like, like it feels like he's the sort of manager to, to, to try and press them. Yeah, I mean, there have been variations within his system, but the system has remained the same. Some games Chelsea have sat a bit deeper and been a bit more conservative. I think Villa away, they kind of boxed a bit more clever. They didn't push high immediately. They let Villa come onto them and press them. And then when they had the opportunity in the game to pin Villa back and play in their half, they took it and, and pressed high and, and forced them into to high turnovers. So situationally, if they have an opportunity to, 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 to try and put City under pressure high up the pitch and really attack, then they'll take it. But um, if they have to defend as well and counter-attack, I think, they'll be, I think they'll be reasonably happy to do that as well. Because they actually, week to week, haven't had many opportunities to play against teams that give them space to run into. Uh, and that was one thing that was really marked about the first game, was that both teams had so much space to run into. <laughs> It felt like the whole game was played in transition. I don't, I don't think this game will be like that. I might be wrong. I don't. I don't think it will be quite as open as that. Did, did Chelsea like that though? Because, because I, I mean, I, I know City don't like that. City don't like the transitions. They mu- they much prefer to try and control it and pin another team back. Uh, uh, Chelsea, the sort of team that can exploit somebody on the transition. Well, I, I think Chelsea like to have control in possession, and that comes from the midfield. You know, Enzo and Caicedo are players that really want to be on the ball. They want to dictate things. They want to play at their pace if possible. But Chelsea also have a lot of fast attacking players who like to be very direct, either running without the ball or, or running with it. And, and someone like Cole Palmer, you have a guy who likes to play those high-risk, high-reward passes to to spring people through. So they, I think they do like having those opportunities against scrambled defences because the thing they've struggled most with this season, Chelsea, and you saw it in the first half against Crystal Palace, if they're confronted by a disciplined low block that doesn't give them any easy avenues, they very quickly run out of ideas and lose all confidence in what they're doing and the tempo goes out of their play and you just get these long langers of... Chelsea possessions that go nowhere. Whereas if if a team comes onto them and um, and presses them, but doesn't quite press them so well that they can't get out, then they kind of have more of an idea of where to go and what to do. And they and in in players like Palmer, in 
Nkunku, who will see whether he starts this game. I think that's one of the biggest questions that Pochettino has. They have guys who are better at making decisions in those situations and picking the right passes. Yeah. Um, finally, Liam, uh, how do you think this one's going to go at the weekend? We've got the uh, the charity bet. So uh, what, uh, what, what score do you think we're, we're, we'll go for? And uh, how do you see uh, the performance going for Chelsea? I mean, Chelsea, to to me, are the, are the chaos factor in this game because we really don't know what to expect from them week to week these days. But I do know, or at least I, I feel like I've got a pretty good idea what to expect from City. They're chasing a title. They're, as you said, they've got pretty much a, a clean bill of health now and they seem to have a real focus to them. So I think they'll win this game. They'll be the stronger, more ruthless team. And, and over the course of 90 minutes, Chelsea will make mistakes. They always do. Uh, and and City are very well equipped to punish them. So I, I would say maybe three one City. Email the show through our website bluemoonpodcast.com. That was the Athletics' Liam Toomey. Um, Kieran, nine wins in a row for City now. Is this a run? Can we call it one of those runs now? Or do they have to prove themselves against the, the teams that caused them problems uh, back in the autumn? So like Chelsea, Spurs, Liverpool. It is a run, but I don't think we can call it one of those runs until it's over or it comes to an end or there is some sort of fruition from it. Um, it's, a re- it's really healthy what's happening at the moment. Everybody... Well, I, I know there were a few injuries against Copenhagen, but a fully fit squad. Everybody seems to be firing. The ideas seem to be uh, seeping through. Key players are back and doing really well. Um, so we do have the potential and all of the kind of factors are coming together in a perfect storm that suggests it could turn into one of those runs. But when you look at the fixture list, uh, Chelsea causes massive problems earlier this season uh, and then we have to go to Spurs and Liverpool, two of the absolute biggest bogey grounds imaginable um, so if we get through them somehow uh, we can definitely call it one of those runs and, and it will be integral integral, uh, integral. How, integral. How, have you, how, how have you pronounced the word integral in two different ways <laughs> without using the pronunciation of integral I don't know <laughs> It's just one of those that I always get wrong in my head. Like it sounds, it sounds wrong to what I envision it looking like in my head. You know, just use um, another word. Like it, you could have picked any other word, and, and, yes. and you went, "No, I'm going to go the one I'm not sure how to say." <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm trying to impress your your listenership, David. With, uh, with and there's a time, there's a Times journalist on here too. <laughs> but I fucked yeah, but, it up. But but he's but he's making puns about parking. So like like we're we're fine. Eh? <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I can't remember what my point was. I think I, sh- I should have just used the word vital, probably. <laughs> yeah, important. Um, yeah. Important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Paul, how, how much do you expect the team to change? I mean, obviously, uh, Grealish is is probably going to be out. Bernardo might be out after that kick he took on on Tuesday. But uh, but ultimately, we talked about that being potentially City's best eleven. It feels like a run of fixtures now where they're going to need as many of that team in it in the starting eleven as possible, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think obviously Grealish, you'd expect him to to miss out. I think Bernardo will play. He's he's one of those players who, I mean, it was quite a nasty kick, but he's he was sort of um, he's one of those players that will 
you know, that, that will play through through pain, won't yeah. he? And, and, and he's he's integral to how City play. He's, yeah. he's, he's very important. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I can't. I don't think I'm able to get that out of my head now. I might start pronouncing that way. Maybe you started something here, Kieran. You know, maybe maybe this is the start of the change of the English language, right? Yeah, <laughs> it should be. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I imagine that Alvarez have come in. There haven't been many games where. Um, Alvarez hasn't featured. I mean, he didn't even come off the bench today on um, on Tuesday. So I imagine he'd play. He's a, a bundle of energy. Um, so I imagine he'd probably come in alongside De Bruyne in midfield. Uh, maybe, you know, use Foden and, and Docker on the wings um, or Bernardo. Um, so, yeah, there's, he's, got, he's got loads of, even with the injuries that they've got, he's got loads of, um, loads of different, uh, different players he can bring in, particularly... In you know, you look at the defense as well. Can you could play as well? So, it's he probably just needs to make a couple of changes. But there's so many. I think as long as he's got two of De Bruyne, Foden, and Silver in the team, that they become a lot. They you know, that's enough creativity in the team by by a long shot. I mean, last Saturday when I saw that you got Kanji stepping into midfield alongside Rodri, and then you got Nunes and then Alvarez, and that they were. In essence, your midfield four. I thought that's there's absolutely zero creativity there. Um, so yeah, I, I think they need to have at least, you know, like I said, two of De Bruyne, Silver, and, and Ford in the team. Yeah, how mu- how much pressure can be put on De Bruyne, Paul, after his injury? Because he's 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 going to be needed over this next month or so, and then at the, but at the same time, he's kind of they've been really careful managing him, and then in the last few weeks, he just kind of started every game apart from Everton. Yeah, I, th- I think they still will be. Still, will use him sparingly. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't start the Brentford game, for example. Um, they, they are they are wary of of causing him a, a, another injury. He's just, um, I mean, how old is he? He's thirty two, thirty three now, and he's had a run of injuries. So I, I don't think he can play, you know, two or three times a week. And they, obviously, it's strange, it's weird saying this because he's the best midfielder in the world, but they don't essentially necessarily need him in every match just because of how Foden's playing. You know, like we were saying earlier, Foden flourished in De Bruyne's absence. Um, and when he's, you know, if, so I, I don't think they necessarily need to play him in every match. And um, I think De Bruyne probably, despite the fact that he's a, you know, he's, he's a bit of a warrior. He, he wouldn't, he will understand that he's, he's not, he's a very intelligent guy. He knows that he's, his, his limits these days. Um, he's a very fit player, but he, to have another one of those injuries, you know, another four or five months uh, would would be really detrimental to him. So, yeah. so I think he's, he knows he's got to take it steady as well. Yeah, Kieran. On the flip side, you mentioned that four all at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Pochettino teams seem to be able to do this to City. They seem to cause problems for Guardiola, and I'm wondering if if this is going to be a difficult game for City to control on that basis. Yeah, um, he brings the chaos factor, doesn't he? And it was interesting listening to the preview that Liam said um, that City seemed to really like, you know, going on the attack on Chelsea and really giving it to them, um, because that has been true in the past couple of seasons. But I, I wasn't I, sure if it's just because they play one step beyond at the end of the game when they've won that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Though. Oh, it's amazing! I absolutely yeah. love that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so but yeah, it is it is just that kind of like high press and um he's a he's a good progressive tactical manager, Pochettino. Um Chelsea 
as you know has been well documented are a bit of a a bit of a chaos team lacking identity and and um it's hard to predict and put your finger on what's going on with them from week to week and game to game um but you always know they'll be up for it against city and you always know Pochettino versus Pep will be a bit of a um you know a bit of a strategical tactical chess match really but with you know a a mad chaos factor in there too um I hope, yeah, I hope Seti will be able to control this one better and I hope he will have learned. You, you get the feeling the 4-4 would just be Pep's absolute nightmare. Like, th- that it would send shivers down his spine to think about a, a result like that. Um, so not even coming away from this, with the three points. It's just, yeah, so you imagine we will... And with the players back and with the way we've been playing lately, you imagine there will be a, a, a much greater kind of studs on the ball, foothold in the game, uh, avoid avoid that kind of crazy turnovers. Um, and yeah, hopefully be able to do what we did against against the likes of Brentford, where all of a sudden we're just passing around in triangles over the halfway line and, and suddenly spot an open and, and, and then we're in. Um, and yeah, it's, it's nice that players like De Bruyne and Haaland are back firing fit and, and hopefully we'll be able to do that and, and, and take the three points on Saturday. Yeah, I, I, the, the thing is though, I mean, you, you mentioned before about uh, the defenders coming back into form and I wondered how much of the control of this game will fall down to the fact that they didn't have stones in the in the away game. So like the stones, the ass partnership is back here and that has been, that's been a big thing this last few weeks. Yeah, and with the Stones-Diaz partnership comes the kind of Stones-Rodri partnership. You know, it, it, it's it's a it's a really refreshing position that John Stones has managed to hold on, where he can, you know, he can drift forward. I think I saw Paul in your article, uh, Stones' touch map against Copenhagen, um, and he was just everywhere, n- not where you would expect a, a central defender to be. Um, so it's, it's amazing having a player with such versatility there because obviously he can bring control into the back four. But you know he exerts his control all over the pitch and and knits everything together so nicely. So it's yeah, it's great that he's back and and hopefully he can stay fit until the end of the season because he is an integral part of City's setup. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done. Um, I, I love seeing uh, touch maps of of John Stones when you when you lay, lay out the pitch, Paul, because it always it always looks like the pitch has caught like chicken pox or something. Just with all, where all these dots are, just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's like someone's dragged. It's like a cursor on a on a on your computer, isn't it? It's sort of dragged across the match and uh, across the pitch. It's uh, he's sort of like. It plays in the like number ten position on the left hand side and the right, and it's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. just crazy. And uh, I'll th- thank you for, for. It's good to know that people are actually reading my copy, Kieran. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, 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 sub- yeah. we found out earlier the sub editors aren't. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, your fibers in the post. Don't worry. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think yeah, Stones is just. Um, he's in 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 the article again. Not wanting to big myself up too much, but um, they I was talking about that. The the Akanji court after the Champions League final about him playing like Maradona, um, which you know is a bit of a stretch. But when he's but when, but when, when he punches the, that ball into the net, will be uh... <laughs> when he's talking about yeah. eight players, in, yeah, and then uh, then palmed <laughs> it in. Um, you yeah, know, he's, he's he's he makes such a big difference, doesn't he? When he's when he's there and he, he can step into midfield, and they've they've tried so many different um, options in his absence. They've tried. A kanji stepping into midfield, and for me, that's you know that that said sirens going off in my head whenever I see him. Oh, try, oh hang, try on, hang on, hang on, hang on! I can do it. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, a kanji <laughs> on the ball. Yeah, Woo-hoo. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Get rid. Uh, yeah, give it to Rodri. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> and then they've had, like I say, Guardiola down the left, and then Walker on the overlap. Walker's tried tucking in a little bit as well. Just none of them work compared to John Stones. That he is the, he's the, he's the best at uh, tucking into midfield and, and advancing the ball. And you, you'll see him like on um, on Tuesday, for example. You look at the. The, I think it was the second goal. You look at his position there, and he's he's just sort of like loitering on the edge of the area, or ten yards from the edge of the area. So he's, he's not only waiting for a pullback, but he's also the first line of defence if they if, if they start a counter attack. So he's um, let's say he understands positionally, he understands that that role perfectly. So mm. yeah, he's, as long as he's um, he, he stays fit for the rest of the season, he will be an. In- Integral part of the team. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's let's have a quick word on Brentford. That's coming up before the next podcast as well. And uh, Kieran, I'm a little bit uh, like I, I, when I sat down to plan this, I was just kind of like, "What on earth do you say? We played them like 20 minutes ago. Like, mm. <laughs> what's what's changed? Um, like, is 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 there actually any kind of advantage or disadvantage to playing a team so so soon after you've just played them? Because like like surely Guardiola will look at it and go, "Well, they're not going to do the same thing again, so we'll have to do something different." But then Thomas Frank might go they'll think we're going to do something different so if we do something the same that'll catch them and I'm I'm tying myself up in knots over this yeah who'd be a football manager really Um, but it is kind of nice to know that we beat them so comfortably away from home it is also nice that they'll you know they clearly had a a strategy worked out for how to attack us with that uh, long ball down the middle Um, so hopefully Hopefully we're a little bit more attentive to those kind of things, um, but yeah, like when you think last year they beat us home and away, uh, the year before it was a little bit. Were, were they both one nils? Grim. Um, they were grim though, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. So having that little bit of confidence now that we can take it to Brentford, beat them comfortably, and kind of just like wipe them away. Hopefully, will be hopefully will be the way we'll go about it on on Tuesday night. Um, Haaland hasn't scored against Brentford yet either and with him getting back in the scoring way of things against Everton it might be nice uh, hopefully his body language is nice and positive and he can uh, he can notch one up against them because I think they're one of the only sides he hasn't scored against yet in the league is that right? Yeah um, just on, on that I'd get Foden into the Fantasy League team Paul because he's uh, he yeah. scored 71% of all of City's Premier League goals against Brentford Wow well, well there you go yeah he's he's Pep always said about him, doesn't he, that he's got a he's got a, a sort of scent for goal. He, he he says he can sniff the goal, which is always a bit, you know, a bit of a strange thing to hear. It's a translate, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, one of them where you, you sit in the room and you think, yeah, I know what you mean, but it sounds a bit um, a bit dodgy. But yeah, no, he's he's got that instinct, hasn't he, of um, being in the right place at the right time, and he's he's uh, like we said earlier, his, his confidence is. Is through the roof at the moment, and you know he fully deserved that hat trick, didn't he, at Brentford? And you know he'll be, um, he'll he'll be, yeah, he'll definitely be in the team at the moment for that game and the Chelsea game. You just can't take him out at the moment, can you? He's um, he's in, um, he's got such uh, self belief, and yeah, I, I, I think that'll be um, as long as they stick to the plan, they'll they'll beat Brentford quite comfortably. Yeah. 
Well, uh, let's get some predictions on the board. We had a winner on last week's show. Adam Keyworth successfully predicted City's 3-1 win in Copenhagen. That means we've now collected £800 on this season's charity bet so far. All the winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're outside the Etihad before weekend home games collecting for Manchester Central Food Bank. They'll be back on Saturday under the bridge near Asda from around about 3pm. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles and the winnings are going to the group's funds. Uh, We heard earlier on that Liam has gone for a 3-1 3-1 City win at the weekend. That's 10-1 to 1 and £100 if he's right. Paul, what are you having for this? 4-1. 4-1 City is 18-1 uh, to 1 and £180 if you are right. Kieran, over to you, mate. 3-2 to City. 3-2 City. Not much. Doesn't sound like there's much control in that one, mate. Um, I know, yeah. Um, I've just undone every single thing I've said <laughs> in the podcast. Yeah, but if it happens, though, and there's a, there's another controlless game, that City win 3-2. It's 25-1 to 1 and £250 <laughs> if you are right. Um, moving over to Brentford then on Tuesday, I've gone for a 1-0 City win. That's 17-2 to 2 and £85. Kieran? 2-1 to City. 2-1 City is 9-1 to 1 and £90. Uh, and Hursty, over to you to finish. Uh, 3-1 to City. 3-1 City is 10-1 to 1 and £100 if you are right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for information on responsible gambling, take a look at begambleaware.org. We will finish this week by squeezing in a quick listener question. Uh, get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well. Fill in the form on bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, that's what George has done. He says, Bernardo's goal has been described as lucky by so many in the media. It was a lucky bounce, but it still needed finishing. I want to hear your memories of when City have been genuinely really, really lucky. Uh, and I've chucked in unlucky in there because I, I as, a, as a fan, I start to think, Kieran, that we just, like all the moments of good luck, we just go, well, they deserve that. And we just kind of bank it as like like things that haven't been lucky. And then the moments of bad luck, we go, God, that was unlucky. Yeah. Um, th- there's been some, that's, that's a great question because it really properly gets you thinking. Um, there's been some lovely moments of luck. Um, I mean, if you if you watch it again, it still gives me heart palpitations. But uh, John Stones' clearance off the line w- against Liverpool, where the ball kind of bounced and bounced and bounced off, and it was heading in, and, and he just managed to get it off. Um, Aguero, do you remember Aguero's goal against Burnley, where it kind of there were two players on the line? Oh, how and, how could you forget this? Goal? Oh, a the, really the, really the, tight uh, angle, and, yeah, and it kissed but, the, the the near post. Oh, that's, that, off one of that's not even the goal I'm thinking of. That, that was at the Etihad, wasn't it? He hit the inside yeah. of the near post and then it went in on the far side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was no, incredible. The, the one I was thinking of was that same season at Turf Moor. Um, Aguero's second goal. I think it, it was one of them where Burnley failed to clear it about three times. And then there was one moment where two Burnley defenders cleared each other. Yes. Um, and then it fell to Torre, who I think fell over trying to get it to Fernandinho, who slipped on the byline and got it across. And then it hit Aguero on the knee and went in. And I think Guardiola afterwards uh, was asked about the quality of the goals. And he's just going, beautiful goals. Beautiful <laughs> goals. <laughs> Yeah. Do you remember Aguero's penalty against Everton in 2013 where it uh, came off the post, hit Tim Howard on the head and then went back into the net? Yeah, yeah, I ate them. As a keeper, I ate them. Yeah, yeah you would, yeah. yeah. Uh, Paul, any, anything that, that sprung out to you? Any any moments of good fortune that we, with our kind of uh, blinkers on, we can't see? Well, I always think of the, the Rodri handball against Everton in... Um, February 2020. No, they, 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 they checked it, mate. It was fine. He didn't, he didn't have ball. <laughs> yeah. Well, I checked it again this morning back on, on YouTube and it looks even worse than I remember at the time. It's, it's the least natural position I've ever seen anyone like 
I mean, he, he just moves, he clearly moves his arm towards the ball <laughs> inside the penalty area. And um, uh, yeah, and, uh, I just, I can't believe how they, they got away with that one. And, um, and as a funny aside to that, I remember one of my friends getting that actual moment uh, printed in a t-shirt that the, the frame of that uh, <laughs> handball just 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 to antagonize any other you know Liverpool fans um, or any you know, United fans or whoever Everton fans um just because it was so blatant <laughs> it was such a massive handball I, I I used it on the on the podcast promo for the next next season I used that image uh, and and uh, described the podcast as uh, city analysis expertly handled yeah. <laughs> you, you look at the you look at the um while they're reviewing it um while the referees you know they've, they've they've stopped the corner or whatever it is and and um the referee's got his you know listening to the the uh, the VAR Rodri is just like he's like shouting at Bernardo for some reason. He's almost like, "Oh, you made me do this," you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I remember chatting in our WhatsApp group, Kieran. Uh, basically, I think I was I think I was watching on live TV, and everybody else was on a stream or on on demand. So they were like a couple of seconds behind, and I was like, "Yeah, they're going to give this." There's like, yeah. there's no way they're not going to give this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's terrifying because I was in London. I was coming home on the train, just checking every two seconds, and and. Yeah, I thought I really feared the worst, but um, I think we got a stroke of good luck in that game as well with how how the goal went in. It sort of fell lovely for Foden, um, and like kind of ricocheted through a few Everton players, uh, and then Foden was just there to like side footer in. It was amazing. Um, in terms of bad luck, I, I love thinking about. Uh, Sheffield United's assist off a balloon in 2008. <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah. 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 yeah the one, he could manage that. I, I always think of one years and years earlier. Um, City lost 4-1 at Main Road to Charlton. And the fourth goal uh, is Richard Dunn on the halfway line just clears it into Klaus Jensen. And it goes all the way back the other end and, lo- and lobs Nicky Weaver and drops into the net. And <laughs> I felt like like it's one of them where like it's in the it must be in the air for about five or six seconds. That's the distance it's travelled. It's, it's like it really takes an age to get from the halfway line to the goal. And Weaver's obviously outside of his box, scrambling back to try and get in. And I just as it was on its upward trajectory, there's uh, there was a fellow that sat in front of me at Main Road who um, I've lost touch with actually. I'd not, like we we used to be in touch with him, uh, but then like as the years gone by, we've lost touch. So maybe you're listening to this, Chris. I don't know, but it, like it just in a completely dead pan voice just went it's in and then then it was like three four five crosses the line now and it's just like how have you seen that coming it's such such a deadpan way um but yeah it was it's like go and go and have a look on youtube it's a it's a terrible goal to concede but uh, but yeah company's own goal against fulham is always a classic as well we're just talking about something looping up in the air and there's no way you think that's going in and then all of a sudden i think jesus navas tries to jump up and clear it (laughs) Joe tries, tries kind of kicks, yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, and then it's nestled in the, in the back of the net. That's pretty mad, like yeah, yeah. So if uh, if if we've missed out your your favourite moments of good or bad fortune for City, let us know at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. Uh, email us your questions as well for next week. BlueMoonPodcast.com, Fill in the form. Uh, but for now, that's the end of this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests for this one, Kieran Murray. Thanks, I've learned a lot. You have indeed, uh, <laughs> and Paul Hurst. Thank you very much. Thank you. I've, I've learned a lot as well. A lot Good. Of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of stuff about pronunciation and, and um, 
and the use of police sirens in, in podcasts as well. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I would play it, but we've already got the outro music going, so I'm not going to not going to interfere with that. Uh, if you'd like to listen to more, then there are extra nostalgia shows on our Patreon page every Monday. There's a clip of this week's coming up shortly. That was a look back over good and bad games against Portsmouth with Adam Carter and Portsmouth fan and commentator Ian Dark. Go and check it out. I'll be back next week to review the games with Chelsea and Brentford. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. They were eight points adrift of safety, then Manchester City at home. If they didn't win that game, basically, I think the view from Harry Redknapp and everyone was Pompey are dead and buried. It was nearly the last kick of the game. Pedro Mendes was one of three players that, that Harry brought in, typical Harry, as like a job lot from Spurs. The winner was a smashing strike with the outside of the foot into the corner of the net. And they went on to get 20 points out of the last 30 available and pulled off this amazing Houdini escape with a game to spare. Adam, do you know how many City got in the remaining 30 uh, available? Go on. Three. I know we had a better... Yeah. <laughs> Three. <laughs> I, know, I know we had a better start to that season than the end when we had like Cole and Vassell up front at the beginning of the season. There have been some great escapes from the Premier League. I remember West Brom pulling off one, but this was one of the superb ones. Do you know who kick-started that West Brom one as well? Um, I'm trying to think of that. That was City that year that uh, that kick-started that one. And then when Roy Hodgson did the great escape with Fulham, that was uh, City that kick-started that one. It seems to me <laughs> if uh, if you're in trouble in the Premier League, get City in and uh, and they can kick-start a great escape. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode. Yeah.